Have you ever tried to explain Bitcoin to someone and you get the response that it has no intrinsic value, that it's just a bunch of digital points, and so it's not real money like the dollar? Well, if you ever wondered how to frame the answer to that challenge, this is the episode for you. This will be the first in the Guys Take FUD Busting series. It's just digital points. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And don't forget to check out AI Unchained, our other podcast. Uh, we had a really phenomenal conversation with Dhruv. And, uh, and I've actually got a, a piece I'm going to be reading uh, this week that I think is really fascinating. And I finally have my, or at least all the pieces of the AI machine are together, but I've got a DRAM light on the motherboard. So something's not right. And I'm not sure what it is. I didn't think I need to, needed to flash the BIOS, but maybe that's what I have to do now. Which means I need to take all this stuff back off of it. I'm not happy about it, but it is what it is. But the AI machine is at least in a troubleshooting phase and closer to being completed. So stay tuned there. There should be some really fun stuff to update on that one. But today, we are diving into our first of the FUD series. And this was largely inspired by a conversation I had while we were traveling with just a stranger, a barista, um, I was getting coffee. And essentially the response was, and we, we talked for quite some time, we talked for maybe five, ten minutes or so uh, about Bitcoin and about fiat and all of this stuff. And But her perspective, I just could not seem to get past her idea that it was just digital points, that it was all just kind of meaningless. Uh, but Bitcoin would be, sure, that could be a good option, but it all just seems so arbitrary to her. And I wanted to, I, I feel like I didn't, I didn't really have the time to set it in and I probably didn't, it wasn't until afterward that I was like, I realized the direction I took. I didn't know until after her responses that I was kind of going in the wrong direction from her perspective, or at least one that wouldn't really enlighten the situation at all. So I decided it was time to do a FUD series. Take the large claims, the, the predominant claims against Bitcoin and basically break them down. And we are starting today with our first in the series with its just digital points. This show is brought to you by Fold and the Fold debit card. This is a fiat debit card, a normal banking debit card, except that it's not normal because it pays you Bitcoin to use fiat. I get 1% back base on every single thing that I do, plus a ton of spins, and literally just the other day, I hit 100,000 sats on a spin. I shit you not, one of my free spins of the day got me 100,000 sats. Then for tons of major merchants, Amazon, Uber, Airbnb, DoorDash, there are even higher rewards, 7% back, 2.5% back, 3% back. I use the gift cards religiously through the app for a lot of purchases that I do. This is such an easy, low barrier way to stack tons of extra sats that you don't, that you don't even have to pay for. And you can buy Bitcoin directly in the app. Check them out at bitcoinaudible.com fold. Now, another way to get Bitcoin really easily is to sell your services, your products, your request donations, do fundraisers to plug your Bitcoin, plug Bitcoin into your online life. You have a skill, you have a hobby, you, you have an online store. Nodeless.io is the simplest way to set this up. In fact, I was just working with someone the other day that just kind of made it clear how important I think a product like this is she was having trouble setting up BTC pay server on her own node and which she still has and should use in all other contexts 
but setting up online integration is just not an easy thing. And BTC Pay Server, if you're technical, is a wonderful tool. But when I suggested Nodeless and that it's just a 1% fee and she can just plug this stuff in, she can make a paywall in literally seconds, and that this will forward straight to her cold storage and there's no KYC, the reaction was literally, oh my God, yes, let's just do that. And as someone who does use BTC Pay Server and can and is very technically literate, I still use Nodeless because it's just, it just works. There's no channel management. You can get your own lightning address through Nodeless and it just automatically forwards all the payments to you. Check them out at my link, bitcoinaudible.com slash Nodeless. And lastly, your cold storage. You got to get a cold card. That's where Nodeless is going to automatically send anything that you make online or anything in your fundraiser, anything like that. And it's where you're going to withdraw your fold sats because you want to know that they are yours, that they are secure, that they are on a safe, easily accessible, uh, low attack vector device. It isn't busy doing a hundred other things or trying to appease a million shit coins. It is Bitcoin only and it just does its job. And they have a very long-standing product and place in the Bitcoin ecosystem and a highly trusted reputation. And you can get 9% off with code BitcoinAudible, all one word. Go to BitcoinAudible.com slash coldcard and all the links and details for all of this stuff are right in the show notes. All right. So what do we say? How do we address the concern from the no-coiner or the pre-coiner that it is just digital points. Well, maybe it's good to start that conversation with you've never used anything but digital points. That's exactly what fiat is. In fact, if we're specifically saying it's arbitrary or it's empty digital points, that's a far better description of fiat than it is Bitcoin. There is no physical dollar. And I don't mean it like there's not a piece of cotton paper, but that the piece of cotton paper is just to carry around proof of digital point. But your dollar isn't backed by anything. You don't get, you don't redeem it for anything. You can't redeem it for anything. There's no gold in the vault somewhere that's, that's waiting for your dollar to come get it to make sure that your dollar is always worth what it was worth yesterday. And if you go ask for redemption and you want something other than the dollar, there's not like a, a law or there's, there's, no, there's no contract anywhere for any reason that says that you're going to get like four bricks out of the White House or something if they don't pay you some other way. You're not going to get shit. If somebody doesn't, if the, the owners and the printers of the dollar bill don't want to pay you, in fact, just the opposite. The printers of the dollar bill are, you are paying them. You are working for the money, and they are printing the money. They are getting the stuff that you make for free because you work for the tokens, the empty digital points that they issue and give to you in exchange for them. So, like, you make a bunch of sandwiches. You make a bunch of food. They eat it, and they print money. They do nothing. So while you, make, you put food into the economy, they take it out, and they put nothing back in. They just create a bunch of empty digital points out of thin air so that you will work, so that you will pay them. Because the tokens aren't the value. The tokens are just a reflection of the value. They're a means, means to communicate that value. But the value is the food. You know, if somebody said, would you rather have a million dollars and never be able to eat again, or would you just not be able to use money and have an infinite supply of food, you would take the food because you're just going to die if you have a million dollars and you can't eat. A million dollars is only valuable because you can get food with it, because you can buy a house, you can buy a car, you have access to energy, because all of the things you actually want are exchangeable for the tokens, which means that the, uh, the fact that it's a token, that it's a digital point is completely irrelevant because all of it's digital points, even Go back to gold from the 1600s. We were still just using digital tokens that were redeemed for gold. Or not digital, we were using analog. We were using uh, virtual. Virtual is the better term. Virtual just means it's in place of. 
digital is specifically referring to zeros and ones. And obviously a gold token, a gold note is virtual gold. Like, like it's a, it's redeemed for gold. So it's working in place of it. It's a fake version of it that is intended to be used for the real thing, but it is obviously not zeros and ones. But literally that started 500 years ago. And understand, when somebody says that the United States dollar is backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government, that doesn't mean anything. All that means is that you will pay for it. It doesn't mean that Congress is going to get together and, you know, build a bunch of houses that they're like literally going to put on some gloves and they're going to go out and they're going to you know, make a bunch of programs and do a bunch of stuff. No, it just means they're going to steal it from you. Saying it's backed by the full faith and credit of the United States is like saying... The dollar is backed by the fact that you will have to work for it even if you don't want to work for it. So it would be like if a slave on a plantation has uh, tokens that the plantation itself issues, it creates. And the slave says, oh, well, no, this, I, can, I can buy a shirt. I can, I can get cotton to make shirts for this token. Therefore, it's valuable. But the plantation itself doesn't have like a capital stock of cotton. They don't have like a bunch of savings. In fact, just the opposite. The plantation owes astronomical amounts of cotton that haven't been picked yet. Well, then to say that the token is backed by the full faith and credit of the plantation just means that the slave is going to continue to be forced to pick cotton. And that if they pick more cotton, well, then the token will be able to get them some cotton. But they are the ones who picked the cotton. The plantation didn't back anything. They just picked their own cotton. The plantation took a giant haircut and you paid for the plantation's debt. And then the token paid you, the token allowed you to keep whatever cotton was left over. The full faith and credit of the United States government doesn't mean shit. And if they indebt themselves to trillions and the hundreds, tens to hundreds of trillions of dollars, which they're going to do. They basically already have. The un, unfunded liabilities are astronomical. The full faith and credit of the United States is nothing. It's literally worth negative because it means that you're, you're holding onto their liability. That not only do you have to do those, the, the exact work you need to pay, are you the only one doing the work for the value that you get? But you're paying for their debt on top of it. It's the credit. Their credit is not good. Their credit is a negative. Their credit is something that you owe them. So I cannot stress this enough. Backed by the full faith and credit of the United States literally only means that you are going to work off their debt and you might get a pittance that is left over. Now, it may seem like for a pretty long time, at least a few decades, that you're getting it for free because you can just keep nurturing the debt and you can just keep growing the debt and not actually pay it off. You can just hold on to the balance. But that literally only works as long as you have capital stock to deplete. So if the plantation had a bunch of cotton, like saved up, like in like a giant cotton bin, well, then they could keep running debts and they could just keep lowering the amount of capital stock that they had until the bin runs out. But then the entire, then the gig is up. Then you have nothing like we're, and that's what we've done. That's what the United States has done. They've gutted their manufacturing because they just keep printing money and they keep issuing debt. They've, what has happened is that rather than building up and growing the economy and actually having money that reflects the actual economic activity, what we've done with the money is we've dismantled and sold off our tools. We've dismantled and sold off our manufacturing. We've exported all of the, the products that we purchase and we've become this service economy and people say it's like oh that's a modern economy no it's not a modern economy it's a it's an economy that has been gutted of all of its real value through a debt and money printing scheme i'm sorry but services are simply on top of the physical things like if you don't have a house if you don't have electricity if you don't have running water and you don't have food then your netflix is meaningless so if you sell off all those other things, you sell off the manufacturing base and you sell off the production of your own goods, then your services are worth jack. When it comes to the point that they're not selling the goods to you anymore for the tokens of your credit promises. So that's a really lengthy way to say it is all just digital points and all you have ever used are empty digital points. The real question is what is the integrity 
of the point system. Think about it like a game. If you wanted to determine who the greatest chess player is, what do you do? You hold tournaments. And you have players play each other over and over and over and over again. And you take the winners, and then you set them against each other. And they play a bunch of games, and then the person who wins the most games plays someone else, and then they play, etc., etc., until you're left with one person. But why does that work? Because the points you get actually have something to do with whether or not you won the game. It's because you gain and lose your chess pieces based on the rules of the game, based on how you play it. Now, if there were just judges in these tournaments that just said, it would just like go look at a game and just be like, person A is the winner, but it had nothing to do with what happened on the board. Well, then what would that point, what would the outcome of that point system tell you about chess players? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You would find exactly zero most skilled chess players. So in both cases, you can say that the winning of the chess game or the uh, gain or loss of any particular chess pieces in the first example where it's actually related to the game of chess well the yes it's still quote-unquote empty points but those points mean that you are good at chess and that in direct contest with other great chess players you have won the game if the point system is just the judges a group of judges just picking people in the room to, to quote-unquote be the winners and has nothing to do with whether or not they played chess good or bad and they can just like randomly go around and just put an extra queen on one of the players' boards and the outcome is all backed by the full faith and credit of the judges, well, then that doesn't mean f***ing anything. And for those of you out there who aren't aware, that is literally how the dollar system works. And to say it's backed by the full faith and credit of the counterfeiters just means that the counterfeiters will just keep printing money and they will keep taking all of the actual value and actual goods and services out of the U.S. economy. They'll keep making you work for them. I mean, in regards to me finding something valuable, the idea that, well, I'm going to have to work for it doesn't really give me any warm and fuzzies. I mean, honestly, that sounds like a scam. I mean, it's because it obviously is, but... It's just crazy that even the way they describe it, it still just sounds like a, they can't even make it not sound like one. So the real question has nothing to do with whether or not it's digital. Because you're stuck using digital points no matter what you do, no matter what country you go to. If you are in the modern economy, every money that you use, aside from having gold stuck under your, like physical gold coins stuck under your mattress, all of it is digital points. The only value those digital points have that can actually be maintained is the integrity of the point system. If for any reason the points in a football game started to diverge, whether or not a team had points, started to diverge from whether or not they scored in the game of football, well then that point system would be useless for the game of football. And very, very quickly, someone would simply make a new point system. Like, if it turns out that, you know, you just get like 20 extra points if your fans bought more slushies, literally, just nobody would play that game. Nobody would ever play that game. Nobody would ever watch the, the matches. No one would ever care about a tournament. For the simple reason is nobody gives a flying fuck which side of the stadium bought more slushies. If anybody did, then that would be the sport. Just two giant groups of people in line trying to buy slushies as fast as they could. This, by the way, is also why I hated Quidditch in the, in the, the book and movie Harry Potter. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm actually a pretty big fan of the movies. The first two were trash, but uh, three on were actually pretty good. I, I am a Harry Potter fan. But the design of the Quidditch game is just really bad. I mean, imagine, just just do this in any other sport. And it's so obvious how silly and convoluted the game would become. If you just had, like, one player on each football team, like, the football team just, or the football game happened normally. But there's just one player on each team, and their only job was to find a green Easter egg that is hidden in the grass. And everybody else just plays football. 
And if you find the green Easter egg, you get five touchdowns and the game is over. I'm really sorry if there are any Quidditch fans out there, but that's dumb. Now going back to the context of money, the integrity and what the point system means, what it relates to, is what matters. In fact, the nature of it being digital is a huge feature, not a bug. If it is able to have a high-integrity monetary system, a point system that can't be cheated, and it's digital, that's the holy grail of money. Not a bad money that's empty and has no value, but a money that both has the most critical values of the physical money that predates it, but is able to be transferred over a communications channel as a bearer asset. That is the exact opposite of empty digital points. What we have now with fiat is empty digital points that only the slave master can counterfeit and force all the slaves to provide value for. The idea of a digital unit that has the integrity and the assurances of a physical gold coin, but that is still digital... That is an incredible, not only is that an insane feat of communication technologies and cryptography, but it is also a massive leap forward when it comes to monetary systems. So the underlying value is the assurance and the integrity of the point system. And if it is insanely high assurance and it is independent and it cannot be cheated by any player or owner or person who runs a server or anything that no one can cheat it then it is an insanely valuable uh, point system but if it also happens to be digital and can still maintain those characteristics well in that case it is even more valuable vastly more valuable in fact because it can be used on the internet which gold cannot be now there's another point that kind of always confused me and, you know, something that for some reason this is natural or this seems to be the first assumption. And maybe it's just because of how we interact with money. But there's something about the fact that it's digital that we feel like it's there. There is some intuitive thing there that says this is of no value. And yet we have so much of value that is digital or virtual. In fact, an enormous amount of the economy is both digital and or virtual now. I mean, think about how many apps and programs and like pieces of code and like cryptography and SSL and TCP IP and uh, email, like all of these things that are immensely valuable, but they are just, they're just digital. And I think part of it is that this is a, this is a protocol. So it's far more akin to TCP IP or email like SMTP, Noster, Tor, SSL, HTTPS, these sorts of things, these communication standards. And we're not used to these, in, despite the fact that they are obviously insanely valuable. If you had to put a price tag on TCP IP, which is the foundation of the internet, which is why computers can talk to each other. What would that be worth? Like, like, how would you do that? I mean, in a sense, would you not have to, would it not have to maintain the value or be representative of the value of the entire internet since the internet does not work without it? So it's not that digital or virtual things can have value. I mean, think about like what people will pay for a contract, which is just a bunch of words on a piece of paper that somebody signs. But it's because of what the contract enables, what it means, that makes it of immense value. And then the same thing with like a piece of software. DaVinci Studio, my, the editing software that I use, or Logic, the, the audio software that I use, these are really expensive pieces of software that I have purchased because what they do is they enable me to accomplish a task much, much faster and much, much more efficiently than if I had to do this manually. Nonlinear editing software is a whole hell of a lot better setup that is that gets me far quicker to the end result to the product that I'm looking for 
than any of the alternatives without it. And it's worth spending a lot of extra, like Logic I think is 199 bucks and the DaVinci Studio is like 300 bucks. But I don't even begin to regret either one of those purchases. They have incredibly simplified and made this process, the process of doing this show and my media work way, way better. Way, I mean, far more capable and yet also far more like I'm able to streamline and kind of build my own templates and do this very, very quickly. So this is something that is totally digital, totally doesn't exist in the real world. I can't pick it up. I, you know, I can't make a, a logic dollar bill. I can't put, print it out on a piece of paper. I mean, I guess I can print the code, but you get the idea. This is nothing in the quote unquote real world, but what it enables is incredibly valuable to the point that on this quote unquote digital nothing, I'm willing to spend hundreds of dollars. Now, I think one of the hesitancies or one of the road, the mental roadblocks with understanding a digital point system, a digital monetary structure is to not understand that the integrity of the system is the reason the points have any value. And because it's strictly a communication system, like money is a communications network, or it is a, it is a good on the market that establishes a network. And the higher the integrity, the, the more concrete and absolute the assurance of the point system, the better it is at communicating value. So that's what the, it's a communication protocol for value. But because of that, inherently, like by itself, it appears to have no value because it's a communication protocol. Communication protocols by themselves without people using them to communicate have no value. I mean, physical communication goods with no one to communicate with have no value. A phone is absolutely valueless if you can't call somebody else with it if nobody else has a phone same with like a broadcasting and then or and or receiving device is the the potential to receive a message like let's say somebody invented a device tomorrow that um can transmit information all the way around the world and can do so with extremely low latency extremely high bandwidth and no objects or obstructions will get in the way or will mess up that signal and it has no negative effects or anything. Like that would be an astronomically valuable thing. And yet, if you made a sending device and there was not a receiving device anywhere, it would have quote unquote, no intrinsic value because you couldn't do anything with it. Until you have a receiving device and until someone is on the other side of the world using that receiving device, the, this seemingly profound innovation in communications cannot send or receive a message. And this, I think, is one of the major mental roadblocks to money, is that only if, obviously, I can perceive, obviously I can predict that someone will build a receiving device or that eventually someone will have a receiving device and that when that occurs, even though I can only message that one person, that is an incredibly powerful and an incredibly useful technology and slowly but surely other people will realize and then use and or build with this technology as well. But I have to invest in it before it's a communications device for its potential in future communications. But most people do not think about money that way, even though it operates under the exact same principle that for an, a money to originate on the market, one must realize and or one must value it for some other reason first. So that's that's like one of the major things is that all previous monies started as some good on the market before that other utility got priced out. Like the reason all of our electronics cords and things aren't made out of gold wire, even though it's a better conductor than copper, is because it's priced out. Gold works better as a savings vehicle, so we just melt it into big useless bricks essentially and we stick it underground the monetary use case completely priced out the fact that it's it can be used in electronics so only very rarely does that ever actually occur and then another major barrier that money has is that because it's kind of the most foundational of communication systems of communication protocols 
And then even more so, it is explicitly a protocol that is designed to transmit that value, to communicate that value and the history of value creation so that it can still be exchanged across time, which means it necessarily has extremely long time spans in which changes in this good occur on the market. Because it is literally the good that the market decides is best at transmitting time. So because of that, we don't think about it as something that we've chosen on the market. We participate in the market by the use of the money itself. So for the most part, the majority of people go through their lives without ever making an assessment of their money, without ever treating it like a product that they have chosen to use, even though that's how it is. It's simply that you've chosen it for its network, not because you understand how to judge one money against another. It is only in the competition between monetary systems, between the existence of different um, systems of economic communication. Only in that environment can one clearly see that there are different characteristics and then have to make an assessment as to which one is a better product. But how does a market find information? How does a market gain knowledge? It's through trial and error. It's through assessment of the various products and comparison against them. If there is no secondary product, then there's no comparison to make. So essentially, it's, it's as if when we have been through our entire lives never having assessed the money that we use because there's literally nothing to compare it to. It's just been the single ubiquitous thing for our entire lives. Well, then when we are finally introduced to competition on the market, when we are finally given one in comparison to the one that we use, we essentially are infants. We, we are essentially... We have zero market knowledge or market experience in order to inform how we should shop between those like shopping is the process of judging the difference between two products, services or goods on the market. If we've literally never shopped, I mean, if there, if there was never an example of anything to compare it to for the bulk of the people out there on the market, and one of them simply did the job long enough such that any of its failures were so slow and gradual that they were invisible, and they occurred over 10, 20, 50 years worth of shifting technology or a movement in capital markets or debt markets, and there was nobody explicitly explaining on a timescale what happens. Nobody would ever ha like they would just be generational shifts. It would just be people talking about like, oh, well, this is the this is just the way the world works. The idea that like the difficulty in seeing something on a 50 year time span and understanding where its actual origins are is incredibly comp. It, it, it's it's explicitly that those sorts of timescales that we are inherently blind to because they essentially occur past the time frame of a human lifespan. And you think about it, everything that we judge, any value, like it's all relative. Everything is just relative. You know, if it, it, a great example is someone who lives in, you know, northern Canada will tell you something is hot or like it's hot or cold outside at a completely different temperature than someone who has grown up in Florida. In that same way, all value judgments, because they're subjective, they can only be weighted value judgments relative to something else. Like there's no objective measure of what a car is worth. The only reason I know what a car is worth is because of my alternatives. Is because I know that if I'm trying to get from A to B, I've got a bike, I've got, I can walk, or I can I can fly, or I can drive a car. And given the environment, the conditions, and my ability to access things, a car is really valuable for this middle set of enormous amount of traveling that is way more valuable. It's valuable enough for me to pay an enormous monthly fee or uh, purchase for thousands and thousands of dollars a car that will let me travel this way. But I only know it. I, I only have this ability to make this judgment because of alternatives. So if the alternative only existed as a 
condition, especially when we're talking about a communications protocol like money, is that it is only when someone else is accepting the money and the money has those characteristics that you can understand the difference in a world that has money A versus a world that uses money B over the time span it takes to transition and for both of them to exist. But because it's a communications protocol, it's just one or the other. And if a different one existed, it probably happened in a time that you were not alive. So if there's like a world A works under, uh, or a world works under money A in 1910, and then money B under 2020, and I could even have the the depth of knowledge to recognize that these different monies um, actually created a different set of conditions and a different economic incentive structures that literally produce a different quality of society. Well, I have to live in both of those times and compare them, but I can't do that. I can only I only live in one society at one time. And then even if I live to be 110 years old, the idea that I would even know or recognize that that was the case because I'd have to I'd have to have the same amount of knowledge in relation to what its product was between those two time spans. So all of that is just a long roundabout way of saying it's explicitly something that we cannot compare that is so foundational to society that all we can do is assess what may be the outcome of living under, living in a society with a different money. But there is no, there's no experiment that can be done. You cannot have a controlled environment. You cannot, cannot have a placebo-controlled trial to assess which one is better. You have to make a quality judgment. You have to make a subjective valuation, and you have to predict the society that may be the outcome of a different incentive structure. And then the risk of accepting one or putting your value in one that does not have a huge communications network when it explicitly is done so at the exclusion of the one that does have the current network. It would be like if you had to, in order to adopt Noster, you had to literally delete your accounts on all other social media. It's a whole lot easier to get on Noster and just be like, I believe this is going to be the future and I'm going to invest in it. I'm going to invest some time in it. But I still did my Twitter, my bird app or my ex Twixter, fuck, I hate that. I hate that name. The, my X.com profile is still there. My Facebook profile, and I don't go to Facebook anymore, but I still have a Facebook profile. I still have Instagram and TikTok. Like, I don't lose those networks. I don't lose any followers or anything like that. But any amount of value that I invest in an alternative money explicitly does so at the network connections, at the value that I have in the other network. So I can split it half and half, but uh, just kind of a, it's not perfectly analogous, but if you wanted to think about it this way, is that it would be like, I've got, um, uh, I think I think it's like 70,000, somewhere, let's call it 70 just for easy math. 70,000 followers on X. It's Twitter, it's Twitter. I'm not gonna call it that stupid name. I have 75,000 followers on Twitter and let's say I have 100 followers on Noster is that I have to cut my Twitter followers in half in order to double my followers on Noster. So I have to lose 35,000 on Twitter in order to gain 100 on Noster because the value of the network is its network connections. Then my direct investment in Bitcoin as a monetary network I do so knowing that I have an extremely small or a vastly smaller network of people that I can use that communication tool with. I can't go to the grocery store and spend my Bitcoin. I can't go to Walmart. I can't go to the, the little coffee shop at, my, at the corner. In fact, none of the coffee shop, none of the places that I go to normally accept Bitcoin. Not even the places that I do spend it at with like gift cards and things accepted. 
I literally have to use the Bitcoin company or I have to use Fold or BitRefill because those those are the only three people in the network that will accept it. They are just willing to accept it to the point that they will fulfill my payment to other merchants. But if most people use or choose, quote unquote, their monetary good, they have always simply chosen by default their monetary good, and they think of money itself as simply the thing that you can use at a store, they will literally say that, well, I can't use it at the store, as if that is a characteristic, that's a quality measure of the money, when it literally isn't at all. It has nothing to do with the integrity of the system itself. It has to do with the utility of the system, which follows from whether or not the users perceive it as high integrity or understand it as such. So maybe a decent analogy to think about this is that it's like cryptography. You know, a lot of people don't understand cryptography. They'd be extremely hard pressed to understand the principles or does P equal NP does, you know, any, any, underlying things most people will think it's magic but let's say there are two cryptographic protocols for private encryption and stored you know having a secret chat um, a a private chat or um, protecting you know really important data so in this instance you have two different characteristics you have both the security of the cryptography how well does it actually secure the information being sent and received, and then the utility of being able to send and receive it to a person who is also using this. So, you know, let's say you've got the greatest encrypted chat in the world, but no one else is using it. You have extremely low utility, but you have extremely high cryptographic or security assurances. High quality, low utility, which you predict will be high utility later because it is an incredibly high quality cryptographic system. But at the same time, you have general market ignorance, which means that people don't know how to judge it. The only thing that they can use to judge it is how many times did it break? How many times did a friend that they know lose their information? How many times did a company get hacked? And can they make an intelligent assessment of whether or not it had something to do with the protocol, like the cryptography itself, or was it user error? Was it an implementation detail that failed? So in this example, you have market ignorance, general market ignorance about, like, if you showed two people, like, two cryptographic math problems, right? Like, two, two elliptic curves of, you know, different sorts, and you said, which one's better? 99999 nine you could probably add a couple more percent of people would just be like oh god i have no idea so they don't know how to make a value judgment looking at the two goods themselves the best they can do is reactionary which one is failing more and why but then there is also a utility judgment is which one can i actually use with other people to send information like a great example is like when i you know work with my tax guy or i work i talk to somebody at a bank or like any of these things i will literally say do you have a pgp key and they'll be like what and i literally just can't wait for the day that someone goes yeah here but the security protocols of some of these institutions is just absolute garbage so i may have a higher quality version but i still don't have very great utility as a communication tool Bitcoin and its comparison to fiat, its challenge to fiat is all of that. It's all of that. The, the market has not only in, this, in, in basically the time span in which they have a relationship at all to the market good that is money, not only do they have no way to relate its value as in, in the context of quality because they don't know anything about money, and they have no experience in comparing one money toward to another because they can't live in two different societies at once. And there are so many other factors involved that they may not even attribute major differences to money. It might be culture. It might be government and politics, which could be downstream from money. But, it, you know, on the surface, it might just look like somebody voted for an idiot. So their totem for understanding how to value one versus another is basically non-existent. Then if you just showed them two monies that you couldn't use, like just like the cryptographic algorithm, uh, that it had no use case for either. Neither one of them had a network. The ability for them to assess which one was better is going to be almost non-existent. 
In fact, a crap ton of, you know, official economists would pick a terrible money in the face of a really, really good money. It would be only Austrian economists generally who would be like, okay, yeah, Bitcoin is better than fiat. But then the actual experience that someone has with money and the understanding of its place in the market is as a communication device. It's the fact that they can take it somewhere and they can get stuff in exchange for it. So in that sense, if you add all that up, what does that mean? It means Bitcoin is just digital points that you can't do anything with. But if you know what you're looking for, if you understand that the point system has to relate to what it is trying to accomplish, just like the points in a football game have to correspond to the completion of the, the successful playing of the game of football, the integrity and the value of a monetary system is in its successful application of economic ownership and exchange. How well does this system communicate the actual value judgments of its participants and the size and network of its economy instead of some political crap, instead of a subsidy, instead of a debt manipulation, instead of the judges issuing a manipulation of those points. Because only then, when you can assess it and understand it at that level, can you then see that not only is Bitcoin better than fiat, it's orders of magnitude better than fiat. It is that 10x improvement that is going to disrupt the absolute fuck out of the entirety of the fiat system. It's simply going to happen on a 30 to 50 year timeline, and most people still aren't even going to see or understand why it has occurred. They're more likely to only notice that its utility has gone up because there are now more people part of the network in order to exchange with. And their biggest touch points for understanding why Bitcoin might be a better quality tool will be when they see it in contrast to the failures and the collapses of fiat. Just like their assessment of a cryptographic protocol would be explicitly in the number of times they witnessed people that they knew or trusted lose their information or had that information exposed, the biggest selling point for Bitcoin will be the failures of fiat. So, to sum this up, there is an immense amount of products, services, and goods on the market that are purely digital, purely virtual, that are incredibly valuable. You have never used anything but digital points for money. The question, the real value question, is whether or not the integrity of the point system communicates economic and value judgments or political judgments and dictates from the government or the central bank or the owners, the controllers of the system. Just like the value of points in a football game are directly tied to whether or not they are an indication of a team scoring a touchdown. And then if that system is high integrity, if it is independent, if it is secure despite a central bank, despite attempts at political manipulation, and it still is digital, then it's one of the most profound breakthroughs in money we have ever seen. In a very real sense, it is the holy grail of monetary networks. So, that should do it. That's my answer to it's just digital points. Hopefully this helps. Hopefully you can send this to someone and it will make sense to them. If not, I am very eager to hear any contradictions or any areas where you had a problem with this explanation or where you feel like there are still gaps that need to be filled in. Uh, please uh, hit me up on Fountain. You can boost the show or you can send a message without a boost. You can uh, hit me up on a Noster. I'll probably I'm more likely to get it if you just tag me and ask like just in a public note. Um, and then same thing on Twitter. I'm a little bit I'm on Twitter less, but uh, uh, so it's easier to get up with me on Noster. But I know Twitter still has a higher, higher utility, far lower quality as a social network or as a communication network. So I keep it up there and uh, I really, really appreciate uh, feedback. Um, and just a great example is the fact that I had this conversation with her and it made me realize 
that I still had gaps in my logic or the way I was explaining it. And I wanted to try to clear those up. So with that, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this show, for subscribing. Do not forget to check out the YouTube channel as well as AI Unchained. Um, I am now publishing all chat episodes in video format as well. And I've got a lot of other side projects, media uh, uh, video projects in particular that will be making their way there. Um, so definitely check it out and do not forget to subscribe. You can just find me, The Guy Swan, on YouTube. Same on Rumble as well, and I will be cross-posting. With that, a shout-out to our amazing sponsors, CoinKite, The Fold Card, and Nodeless. You know who they are. Nodeless is the way to integrate with Bitcoin uh, online, with your store, with your fundraiser as an entrepreneur, however you want to do it, um, so that those funds go directly to you. They can go directly to your cold storage with the simplest setup possible. No KYC. CoinKite is your cold storage solution. Get a Bitcoin hardware device and get 9% off with my code. And then lastly, the fold card is the way to stack sats on everything that you do with the fiat you are still forced to use. Fiat is extremely low quality poverty points with an extremely high network utility still. So if you still have to use it, make sure you're getting paid in real sound digital money and keep it safe and stored away. Because as a far higher integrity monetary system, it will behave as a far superior savings vehicle. And that in contrast to the continued failures of fiat over the coming years and decades, market participants will better understand its value in relation to their alternatives, which will increase its communication network and ultimately Bitcoin, the highest quality money will also become the highest utility money. And no one will be saying that, oh, but it's just digital points. So you better get stacking while you still can. With that, thanks for listening, and I will catch you on the next episode of Bitcoin Audible. Until then, take it easy, guys. A man will be imprisoned in a room with a door that's unlocked and opens inwards, as long as it does not occur to him to pull rather than to push. Ludwig Wittgenstein <laughs>